0: special episode of pick six movies because this is our 50th episode that's right the big 5-0 who would have thought we would make 50 of these things not me I was shocked that we got past the first six you know when we started this show The naysayers said nobody would be interested in hearing a podcast where each season the host selects six movies that are all related to a single theme, and then on each episode the host would explore the people in front of and behind the camera and try to make sense out of how and why each of these movies was made. And then, on top of that, the hosts would give you a detailed review of the entire movie to see if they're any good. They all said nobody would want to hear a podcast like that, but you know what? those sayers of nay have been proven wrong, because people love this show, and I personally know both of them. And who am I? Well, I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my dear friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell, we are continuing this season's theme, Hail to the King, Baby, where we're taking on six movies all inspired by the writings of the one, the only, Stephen King. This is episode two of season nine, featuring the werewolf-filled horror classic Silver Bullet, starring Gary Busey. If you've seen this movie and you're my co host Bo, then you know that this is one of your most favorite movies of all time. If you're everybody else that's not my co host Bo, well, then you're still in for a real treat with this particular episode. Speaking of Bo, let's get him in here to set up this monumental semi centennial episode showcasing the Stephen King inspired adaptation for the silver screen 1985's Silver Bullet. Happy 50th episode, Bo, and here's to many, many more.
1: In 1764, a young woman by the name of Marie-Gene was tending cattle in the Mercroix Forest in the eastern part of Gévaudan, France. As she walked with the herd, she heard a low growl and turned to the depths of the forest to see a beast stalking her. It was described as a wolf, only unlike any wolf the locals had ever seen. When it approached, the bulls in the herd charged it. It came again, and the bulls kept it at bay once more. Finally, it abandoned Mademoiselle Valet, but later that day, the beast's first victim would be found. A 14-year-old named Jeanne Boulay was found dead, the throat torn out. From summer to winter in 1764, the beast claimed more victims, always lone men and women, most of them herding sheep or cows, and always with similar wounds on the face and neck. The Beast of Gévaudin was born. In January of 1765, Jacques Portefeuille and his seven companions were attacked by the beast and survived only by staying together and fending off the attacks of the great animal like they were surrounded by sharks or something. The encounter was reported to Louis XV, who put a bounty on the beast's head. Hunters, both assigned by the king and locals, prowled the forest of Jevoudin for the beast. A large gray wolf was found and killed where it was sent to Versailles, it was stuffed as a trophy, and the beast was pronounced dead, at least until two more boys were attacked on December 2nd of 1765. The beast would go on to terrorize Jevoudin for two more years. As the legend goes, the beast took the lives of a mother and her child, leaving behind a local hunter by the name of Jean Chastel. Monsieur Chastel, blind with grief and rage, decides that the beast must be destroyed, and more, that this is no mere animal. This is something else. He takes a silver cross and has it forged into a silver bullet, which is then thrice blessed by a local priest. It is this bullet which finally slays the beast of Jevoudin after it has claimed the lives of 113 men, women, and children, and injured 49 more. Of the 113 dead, 98 were partially devoured. To this day, though the actual beast was eventually stuffed and placed on display, no one is really sure what the beast was. No photographs exist, of course, and the beast itself has long since rotted. Some believe it was a young male lion escaped from a circus. Some think it was a particularly nasty wolf. And some say it was something else. Something supernatural. Something that hunted man for sport. Now, the werewolf film has a long history. One might argue that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a werewolf story of sorts. The tale of a man who hides a dark and primitive and violent side that he can't control. See Pick 6 Movies, Season 3, Episode 6 for more information on Wolfmen and Wolfwomen. What concerns us in this tale, though, is that the werewolf myth is predicated on the idea that we may become something we were never meant to be, something irrational and violent, and we can't control it. We may hurt the ones we love most. No one is safe around us when we are possessed by this lunar curse. Leading up to Silver Bullet, There had been a spate of very good werewolf movies in the early 80s. Rick Baker made history with the startling transformation in An American Werewolf in London, and Rob Bettine went toe-to-toe effects-wise in the also very good The Howling, released the very same year. So it wasn't insane for a movie like Silver Bullet to happen. Our old pal Dino De Laurentiis of King Kong 76 fame had the rights to Stephen King's novella Cycle of the Werewolf, The novella was a trifle in the grand scheme of King's work, perhaps most notable for the illustrated edition inked by Bernie Wrightson, which showcased some phenomenal illustration work. In the novella, set over the course of a year in the fictional town of Tarker's Mills, which sits near the towns of Derry and Castle Rock in King's fictional universe, The town is besieged by a murderous beast, and a young boy named Marty discovers that the local reverend is a werewolf, now intent on killing Marty for his forbidden knowledge. It's a pretty good book, but nothing special. Still, it has all the elements for a pretty good horror movie too. Don Coscarelli was hired on to direct. Coscarelli was best known at the time for directing the cult horror hit Phantasm and its sequels. Though his best movie would come later when he adapted another piece of fiction, Bubba Hotep, from author Joe Lansdale. Coscarelli had experience and a real desire to work with Stephen King, and he was in the director's chair all the way up through the start of filming. Why then, you ask, is Daniel Attias listed as the director? Well, Don Coscarelli had some problems. One, the werewolf costume wasn't done, and wouldn't be until a couple of weeks into production. Also, he and Stephen King had kind of a peculiar vision for the werewolf. They wanted it to be barely seen, a figure lurking in the shadows, nimble and quick. In fact, they'd even hired a dancer to perform inside the costume to ensure the lithe and agile movements. Except when Dino De Laurentiis saw the finished product from creature designer Carlo Rimbaldi, who you may also recall, designed the Kong suit from King Kong 76, De Laurentiis shit a werewolf-sized brick. He said the outfit looked like a bear, which it does, and that the dancer-related movements were dumb, which they might have been. Also, in early drafts of the script, the werewolf talked, and De Laurentiis thought that was real dumb too. So, fraught with disputes with the direction of the film, Coscarelli said, I'm done, and he left the production, which I might add, had already started. A television director named Daniel Adias who had never directed a feature film before and has never done so again, was tapped to salvage the production or the whole thing was going to be shut down and chalked up as a loss. Adias had some wind at his back with Stephen King pinning the script, De Laurentiis producing, and a pretty good cast assembled. You had rising young star Corey Haim who would really take off in another year or so when he starred in Lucas, and then even more when The Lost Boys came out the year after that. As Marty, the handicapped protagonist, he gets to show off a pretty good range of his talents. Megan Follows plays his sister Janie, and she was practically a veteran at this point, having done dozens of TV appearances and a few features too. Terry O'Quinn shows up as Sheriff Joe Haller, and he's been a mainstay in genre films for decades now. He had a big hit as John Locke on Lost, but it was probably 1987's The Stepfather that really launched him. Bill Smitrovich plays the local bully named Andy, and Smitrovich is immediately recognizable for those of a certain age as the dad from Life Goes On, but he's been in literally hundreds of television shows and movies, so it's a good cast. Oh, and you have Everett McGill from Twin Peaks as Reverend Werewolf. He's great. So that's everybody, right? Hey! Oh, hey yourself, Gary Busey. I almost forgot he was in this. I mean, since we're here and we're talking about this movie, I guess we can talk about Gary Busey for a second. For my money, there is no greater tragedy than a life unfulfilled. All the things you could have been, all the things you could have done, if only you'd been able to get out of your own stupid way. And to me, that's kind of the story of Gary Busey. Most people know him as the crazy guy that was on those Amazon Fire Stick commercials. Or maybe you remember him on Celebrity Rehab or Dancing with the Stars. His name has become synonymous with someone unhinged, someone dangerous and unpredictable. But that's not always who he was. He grew up in Oklahoma, though he was born in 1944 in Goose Creek, Texas, which is a pretty great name for a place. He was an athlete and attended Pittsburgh State University in, wait for it, Kansas. But he blew out his knee and sports was a bust. Unsure of what he was going to do with himself, Busey tried his hand at drama and found he was pretty good at it, and he liked it. He was naturally funny and charismatic. His big break, though, came not from film, but as a drummer in a band called The Rubber Band. He also played backup drums for Leon Russell and Willie Nelson, and all that before he got some television gigs as an actor. When he played drums on these albums, he was often credited under a couple of pseudonyms taken from a comedy troupe he worked with using either Teddy Jack Jacketti or, my personal favorite, Sprunk. He was notably the last person ever killed on screen in the long-lived Western series Gunsmoke. And then he made his big debut in a Michael Cimino movie called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Jeff Bridges and Clint Eastwood. From there, he ended up in a role in the Barbra Streisand remake of A Star is Born, and then, in 1976, he'd get the big bopper of all roles, Buddy Holly in The Buddy Holly Story. Not only is he kind of fantastic as Buddy Holly, Busey also sang all of the songs in the movie on the set at the time of filming. He is amazing in it, so much so that he got an Academy Award nomination, among a host of other nominations for various acting awards. But he didn't capitalize well. He played some big roles in movies like Barbarossa and DC Cab, which weren't giant hits. The movie we're talking about tonight, Silver Bullet, that was among those notable misfires for his career. Also, Busey was doing a lot of cocaine, packing on some weight, and he was frustrated by his brief moment as a real Hollywood star, now on the decline. He had a real shot again when he was offered the plum roll of Joshua in Lethal Weapon, which is a solid villain part, and Busey lost some weight and got his shit together and rocked that part. Things were looking up, and then life happened. December 4th, 1988, was a sunny day in Los Angeles. Gary Busey was at a motorcycle shop he often frequented, and he was a devoted advocate for personal freedom, deriding the push for helmet laws for bikers. So, true to his beliefs, Busey hopped on his bike, without a helmet, and took off. He wasn't speeding, there was no indication of drugs or alcohol, just a patch of glass and sand that Busey hit unexpectedly, and ended up sailing over the handlebars to the curb. Striking the cement with the back of his head. His skull was fractured and a hole direct to his brain, about the size of a silver dollar, leaked blood onto the pavement. He was rushed to the hospital where he died on the table for a few minutes, was saved, and then spent four weeks in a medically induced coma so he could recover. Remarkably, when he woke up, he felt pretty okay. Five weeks later, he walked out of the hospital of his own accord. I mean, he had some physical therapy ahead of him, but everything looked fine. It didn't seem that Gary Busey had really been all that hurt. In fact, coming out of the accident, he still wasn't in favor of motorcycle helmet laws. And all of that would have been truly miraculous had it been true. But after the accident, things started changing. Something else seemed to have inhabited Busey's body. This thing more impulsive and monstrous than the man who existed before. The cocaine resumed again, and Busey was gaining a reputation as being very difficult on set. Convinced he had seen Heaven after his death on the table, Busey refused to work on a set standing in for Heaven because he'd seen the real thing and this wasn't it. I mean, they don't even have mirrors in Heaven, he asserted. I mean, am I right, everyone? (laughs) What a stupid set designer. He worked, no doubt about that, but his erratic behavior and the continued drug use wasn't doing his work any favors. He still had some good turns, and he's kind of great in The Firm from 93. But then he overdosed on, you guessed it, cocaine in 1995, and things went further south from there. The roles being offered weren't great, and he wasn't necessarily great in them. Movies like G-Men From Hell, or Scorched, or Ghost Rock, or Motocross Kids... In 98, he found religion in a big way, telling anyone and everyone how happy he was he could finally be an honest-to-goodness Christian and godless Hollywood. While not necessarily indicative of mental problems, it certainly didn't help how vocal he was about it all. Then, 10 years after that, he'd be on the aforementioned celebrity rehab. and here, a psychiatrist suggested that his recovery from the motorcycle injury from 20 years before hadn't been so miraculous. The psychiatrist said Busey suffered from a massive impairment in executive capability, which meant Busey could not adequately filter his thoughts and actions. He was, in short, inhabited by a monster he could not control. He'd already been arrested in 1999 for violence directed at his then-wife, and hit a flight attendant in 1997 when she accidentally bumped into him. He was a creature of pure emotion. And often, that emotion was rage. Today, his roles are mostly geared towards emphasizing his crazy reputation. Which is good for him to be working, I guess. But it comes off as a little sad to me. See, Gary Busey was a really good actor. Probably still is if you give him a chance. But there's something else inside him too. Something that only wants to cause chaos, to destroy, and to lash out. In the movies, the monster is defeated with a silver bullet, and that monster returns to his humanity at the bitter end, but for Busey, there isn't a silver bullet, no magic fix, only the what-could-have-beens, and the reality of what is. Also, for the record, he is now in favor of helmet laws. When Silver Bullet premiered, it came out to tepid reviews, and it was Busey who was singled out as the shining star. Paul Atanasio of the Washington Post said the movie was, quote, about as suspenseful as looking at your watch to see what minute will pop up next, but that Busey, quote, almost makes the movie bearable. Eh, that's nice, I guess. But is Silver Bullet really that bad? Is the werewolf costume really that dumb? And will the Gary Busey impressions be any good? For those answers, let's bring in resident lycanthropy expert Chad Cooper and get this party started. Trumpet guy, Time to howl at the moon. Ladies and gentlemen, Marty's and Janie's, it is 1985's Silver Bullet. Hey there loyal listeners uh thanks for sticking around this is episode two obviously of uh pick six movies season nine and this is the 50th episode all the everything before this is shit mm-hmm. episode 50 is where it begins
0: <laughs> we said that from the beginning yes we were like half-ass it up until 50 then after that bring your a game see if anyone pays any attention if they do
1: then we'll take it more seriously <laughs> so people have listened so now we're taking it a little more seriously here we are at episode 50 and now we care yes on a personal level look it's episode 50 and that's significant and i'm very i'm very pleased that we have done 50 of these and you know like, i'm
0: shocked that we've done 50 of these honestly like seven of them really really good <laughs> I have two that I recommend to people.
1: Yeah, I've got like my, my six shooter <laughs> of episodes. I'm like, all right, if you really want to get a, a flavor for the show, it's, you know, these like five or six. You know, look, I love them all. They're all my children. But 50 is a big deal. And also mm-hmm. we are talking about not just Stephen King films, Held to the King, baby. That's our, our, our theme this uh, season. But not only that, we are talking about Silver Bullet, which yes. which I have seen Chad maybe 30 times over the course wow. of my life yeah I've seen it at least two yeah I know this movie so well <laughs> so as we're as we're talking about this I want to say that up front because a lot of what I'm going to say is going to sound like a crazy person uh because I love this movie unreservedly This is a real, like one of those rare times, like the King Kong 76, where I'm like, I don't, yes, it has problems. We will talk about all of them and mock them mercilessly. When I walk away from this thing, it's going to remind me I should watch Silver Bullet more.
0: Our movie starts proper and we see a full moon and we hear some really good 1985, like calming yet creepy synthesizer music. And the music in this movie is one of the best elements of the film. Mm -hmm. And at other times, it's one of the worst things in this film.
1: Yeah, and I will talk about which is which. This is nice because you get a little bit of that there's a a a whiff an air of John Williams to this where there's sort of a an
0: element of fantasy almost to the, to the score. It sounds like the opening to Home Alone. You know, it's got the black background, the full moon. It's just missing that house cutout with the crooked lowercase e. <laughs> if the if
1: the e in the bullet were a little crooked. <laughs>
0: You know what? I'm not a fan of showing credits at the beginning of a movie. Because nobody cares. Nobody's reading the names of who edited this movie or who the producers were. We already know who's in the movie. And if we don't know that someone's in the movie, we're going to find out soon enough. Just get to the movie.
1: Yeah, but you miss all the fun of the withs and ands to see which actors were
0: like, fuck you, I'm important. Nobody cares. And with Morgan Freeman. Let's talk about the framing device of this film. This movie has the older teenage sister, Janie, Mm -hmm. telling us the tale of this movie as an adult, right? Yes. She comes out with the narration of this film, and it reminded me of, like, Scout Finch from Mockingbird. If, you know, what, Jim had overcome polio and rode around in a souped-up wheelchair and Boo Radley was a werewolf. Atticus, that old drunk got killed on the railroad tracks. You never really understand a werewolf until you consider things from his point of view. Until you climb inside one of his victims' skin and walk around in it.
1: Well, it's a sin to kill a werewolf scout. All they do is <laughs> howl and make music for us to hear. Janie is like, mm. hey, it's, it's spring of 1976, and this is where the town's long nightmare begins.
0: The framing device of this is... Drives me nuts because Janie is an adult telling the story of their childhood. One, it adds nothing to the movie. And two, she is telling us things of which she has no knowledge. She knows about people's dreams that she's never talked to them about. This type of framing device works in other Stephen King adaptations. The Shawshank Redemption Mm -hmm. most notably is great because, as you mentioned, it stars and Morgan Freeman uh-huh. you know doing his thing but here the character of Jane it kind of makes her more important than she really is in the movie you could cut out this entire framing device and it doesn't do anything
1: do you do you want to hear my pet theory about this sure okay i cuz really. <laughs> i was going to save it for the end but here's what i think has happened and there's no evidence for this this is just me Doing pick six fan fiction as a child watching this movie for the 16th time. Where I think this story is being told after Marty's death. And so there is a, like, all the dream stuff, you're absolutely right. There's no way she would know that. But all the stuff about, like, the the making the bullet and all the stuff Marty sees by himself and that kind of thing. I kind of write off as, like, it's her telling this tale following his death.
0: I'd like to have this movie framed up with Gary Busey as Uncle Red telling the story. Are, you are not kidding,
1: man. It, it Like, this movie doesn't fuck around. It gets him in the movie pretty quick,
0: but it still ain't enough. The last time we saw that goddamn werewolf, he was hightailing his ass straight to Hades with both of his eyes shot out, one by a rocket and the other by a 30-06. But I'll be goddamn if I ain't getting ahead of myself. Sit down. You gotta hear this shit. Hey, where's my wild turkey?
1: All right, we start off with this with this brother taking a walk down the train tracks, and he is drunk. He is singing about it, and I have been there. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what's happening it, with the guy, the coach from Major League, is mm-hmm. uh, is singing a song about Ringle Beer. Mm -hmm. and drunk on the job as you are in in the in the woods do you
0: sing songs about your favorite addiction or vice the way this guy sings about ryan beer
1: are you asking me if
0: i enjoy cypress hill yes i do (laughs) (laughs) so the drunk coach from major league he's working on the rails and he goes over and just starts moving some dirt around uh and he looks over and he sees a large footprint and he says oh shit And this large hairy arm comes in and just lops off his head. And then we see a decapitated human skull fly through the air at the 3 minute 28 second mark of this movie. So they are not fooling around when it comes to werewolves killing people.
1: Yeah, it's great. Uh, I mean, it's not a great prop, and the special effects in this movie are god-awful, generally. Uh But at least you're getting decapitations right off the bat, and that's pretty good. And then Janie pops in and is like, hey, even though all this killing started, uh, by the way, he was drunk all the time, and people thought he just passed out on the tracks.
0: As soon as the guy's head gets chopped off, we cut to the town barbershop, and we see a dude getting a haircut, and we hear a wolf howl. And then we cut over to the gas station and we see the attendant look up as he hears the howl. And I'm thinking, what time of day is it where this werewolf is out a hunting and people are getting haircuts and filling up their cars with gasoline? I mean, we let's do the math. It's spring, Mm -hmm. right? Almost summer. That's right. So daylight savings time would have been adjusted. And we're presumably in Maine. So it's Eastern time zone. So some guy's getting his hair cut at what, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night in 1976. P- please come on that's more unbelievable than the existence of a werewolf in a town
1: <laughs> yeah you're right and tarker's mill uh is a place where they roll up the sidewalks pretty early yeah yeah you're right <laughs> I,
0: I like that arnie's death is attributed to him being just a chronic drunk
1: yeah yeah I, i'm a big fan of that too and i like the fact that you get a, a shot of his anti old face his decapitated head just covered with ants and stuff and it's mm-hmm. like oh boy uh, now I know where uh, Ari Aster got that for *Hereditary*, um, which you haven't seen, but it's a great movie.
0: And they say that uh, the train just ran over his head or his neck uh-huh. and killed him. And I'm like, wait a minute, his body's over here, and his head is way over there. And I'm thinking, you know, the sheriff and the deputies in this town, who we're going to get to shortly, they're probably not the best and the brightest. And I think that they rely on Occam's razor way too frequently in the most impossible ways to explain away crimes in this town. Like Decapitated man with no train tracks? Yep, train did it. What? Three kids found dead in the lake? Oh, they they all de- drowned at the same time. Well, you, you got some missing jewelry, you say? That's probably mice. Dead prostitute in the alleyway, Hmm. most likely jumped to her death. (laughs) Multiple (laughs) shotguns at a house, well, probably fell down the stairs while cleaning the gun. Body was chopped into small pieces and buried in baggies around the greater Tri-County area. That's a suicide if I've ever seen one. (laughs) Case closed. I wrote those
1: jokes. You're a pretty good detective
0: we cut to the town square of tucker's mills and Janie says this is tucker's mills and this is how it looked that spring before things got weird with a werewolf and lots of dead people
1: but you don't want to hear about that let me tell you more about old man wilker's and the hardware store see i was 15 and marty was 11 over there's the sheriff you know one time he sold me
0: a bike. At this point, I'm wondering, is Janie an omniscient being and watching this movie with me? Is Janie going to die? <gasps> Maybe she's an angel. Maybe she's in heaven. Maybe she's in hell. Am I in hell? Is that why I'm having to watch this movie over and over?
1: No. <laughs> I think she's a Carrie. She's like <laughs> a, she's like a, you know, if Carrie's 10, she's like a three, you know? She just knows. That would some make shit. sense. But yeah, so you meet the the sheriff, who, uh, as I mentioned, is played by Terry O'Quinn, a.k.a. the, the stepfather. Then we also uh, see Reverend Werewolf. Spoilers, the Reverend's the werewolf. And it's Everett McGill from Twin Peaks, who uh, owns Big Ed's Gas Farm on that show. And he is fantastic on that show, and I argue, quite good here.
0: Yeah, he's only in this movie like three or four scenes, but yeah, he's good. He looks creepy and weird.
1: Yeah, well, d- exactly what he oughta. And anyway, you should see him in the gimp outfit and people under the stairs. Uh, Janie, then, is uh, pops in with her narration. Like, she only talks at the beginning of this movie and the end of this movie and then, like, one other time. So, but on the upfront, she's real chatty because this movie uh, is all about telling and not showing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they're having some sort of John Philip Sousa celebration where they're raising money for something that nobody cares about. And Janie's there with her mom. And I'm guessing her dad, I don't think it's a stepdad, doesn't matter because he's not in the movie very much. He has like two lines and they're both like, see you, Red. (laughs) Janie tells her mom, hey, I'm going to split. And the mom says, "Okay, but keep an eye on your brother. And then Janie walks away and she says, Marty's a booger. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Janie. You you kiss your mom with that mouth? You swab the deck, sailor. Like I don't need that kind of language in my silver bullet. Booger. Yeah. Beyond the pale, Janie. Beyond the pale.
1: In, in fairness, the booger talk uh is sort of justified because what happens is uh mom is like, hey Janie, go see where your, your uh stupid brother is. And she finds what's his face, Marty with his pal Brady.
0: <laughs> How many times have you seen this movie? Um a hundred <laughs> and
1: fifteen. <laughs> and and anyway, as she approaches, Brady like shakes a garter snake at her. And yeah,
0: Brady's like this bad seed kid that's hanging out with Marty. Yeah, he
1: gets what's coming to him. And mm. <laughs> I see that there's a lot of justice happening in this movie. So she falls backwards on the ground, and she's real upset, and poor Marty is like, Janie, I'm sorry, Brady, knock it off. And as she gets up, Brady throws the snake at her. Which s- but,
0: but hold on, you, you got to slow down because a lot of people who listen to our show have never watched the garbage movies that we are discussing. huh. And as you as someone who has seen this movie many, many times, you got to paint a picture with your words because you left out a very important detail that when we finally get to see Marty come over to apologize, he rolls up. In a gas-powered wheelchair. Yeah. And it's here that we learn that Marty has no use of his legs. Right. He is what the screenplay calls a cripple.
1: Crippled is thrown around a lot in this movie. (laughs) But yeah. Let's talk about this wheelchair. We get a fancier one later, but this is like uh, the Ironside's electric uh, wheelchair. It's a little bit reinforced. And like you said, it's got like a go-kart engine on it
0: yes it belches out plumes of toxic exhaust Mm -hmm. marty can't take this thing indoors right i mean people would die of carbon monoxide poisoning in under two minutes with this thing idling in a closed room
1: look the reason i built this for you is because i love you now i want you to wheel it into your room and (laughs) tape any windows you can as high as you can reach i know i know it's a little tough for you but you know, as much duct tape as you can put on them windows better. And then I just want you to hang out and think about how great your life is.
0: Brady throws the snake at Janie and she falls in this mud puddle, as you mentioned earlier. And she rips her pantyhose because she has a part-time job as a receptionist at an insurance agent in the 1980s. Janie again, to her brother's face. She calls him the B word. Yep. Booger. I hate to use that kind of language on our show.
1: Wait, look, it's what's in the film. We're using the language of the film.
0: There are some things that you do and say that you can never take back. I mean, once they're out there, they're in the world forever. And she'll regret that someday.
1: Look, as far as I'm concerned, that is a word that only boogers should use. That is their word.
0: Janie does what uh, everyone does when they fall in a mud puddle and tear their pantyhose. They crawl into a giant bush to remove them.
1: (laughs) And immediately eavesdrop.
0: (laughs) Once she's in the bushes, she hears this man and woman and they're having a fight. And the man screams out, I told you, it ain't my baby. It may be your oven, but it ain't my bun. And the woman is just crying and screaming for this guy to give her some help. And he just walks off, which I'm like, is that how you disavowed paternity in the 1970s? Just kind of a pre-Povich era? Like, ain't mine. I'm out of here. I, You know, I think you can still do it today,
1: Chad. I mean, you have to be committed to it. You have to be like, I'm moving. And just... Out of the state. Papa was a rolling stone. (laughs) You know, wherever he laid his hat was his home, Chad.
0: On the drive home, Janie's still pissed off at Marty, and dad's driving quietly, of course. (laughs) And then mom's trying to mend these fences, and Janie says, you always take Marty's side because he's a cripple. I haven't mentioned this yet, but the last name of this family is Coeslaw. And I just kept wondering how many times they individually have had to say, no, no, it's not Coleslaw, it's Coeslaw, C-O-S-L-A-W. Yes, Yes, I'm. I'm sure it's not coleslaw. Yeah, it, it does sound a lot like coleslaw, but it's coleslaw. Yeah. It, yeah, it's different. Yes, yes, I'm sure. Yes, it just it's not coleslaw. It's coleslaw.
1: You know, I know you're going to think coleslaw like picnics and like a uh, a thing you would never see my crippled brother at. <laughs> it's easy to make that leap. <laughs> But it's, it, it's Kozla. When they get home, we see them unpack the family truckster, and they're like, Hey, Janie, will you get your crippled brother out of the crippled car? His crippled chair's in the back. Of course, it's Mom who says this. Dad is just like, I'm making sag scale. And... They, uh, she goes and like pulls him out and gets him a, a chair and they have to unpack uh, his gas-powered mower, not mower, but a gas-powered uh, wheelchair.
0: How many times have you seen this movie?
1: Uh, like 112.
0: <laughs> Marty asks Janie, he's like, hey, is uh, Gary Busey coming to visit us? He's their uncle. Spoilers. He's totally coming to visit. <laughs> and then here Janie says, you know what? I heard that uh, Uncle Red, aka Gary Busey, he's getting a divorce and mom said he was drunk. And I'm like, hey, so he's coming to visit how how does that negate him showing up at our house right not
1: answering the question Janie. problem number one problem number two everything you're saying is a positive
0: later that night it's dark outside so i'm guessing there's Probably a line around the block at the barbershop, you know, snip, snip. <laughs> right. There's
1: actually a, a big insurance seminar happening with the local agent, and everybody turned out for that. That's really sucking the air out of the room for the barbershop, unfortunately.
0: Marty goes into Janie's room and gives her some money to buy new pantyhose, and she doesn't take it all. She just takes what she needs. So they make up. They're friends now. That's nice.
1: I kind of like um, the scene, though, where she where she gives them the money back, where she's like, oh no. I mean, the line's terrible it's one of those things where like it, sometimes Stephen King is a brilliant writer and sometimes he seems to be trying to get to the good part and this is one of those times where she's like uh, a pair of legs is a dollar 37 but the gesture i think is very sweet
0: yeah it works there are a few scenes in this movie that are that are quite good and that's one of them there aren't many but we'll touch and on
1: that. and she actually tells him here too like hey because uh, marty asks her hey is it true what you said about uncle red and and she says yeah it is true and i'm sorry i told you that way it was a mean way to tell you um but also it was the crippled way to tell you and mom encouraged that
0: so outside it's now another night and there is another full moon so is this the next night or the next month the moon is always shining in this movie and they do not explain the passage of time
1: at all. Yeah, we're pretty much jumping from full moon to full moon, but my my impression is I thought this was the same night as as it the previous It can't be the eight. same
0: night because the other guy got his head cut off by a train with a full moon and then we had the John Philip Sousa Fest so it's at least a different night,
1: right? But as the movie How many times, have you seen no? This movie? But as the movie posits, Chad, I will show you my silver bullet expertise, as I'm an expert in silver bullet law. That uh, the the it is posited in this film that he can kind of turn into a werewolf whenever it's just he's more beastly the closer to the full moon he is.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But what that doesn't explain away is the fact that we are seeing two full moons on two nights back to back. Check and mate this movie is not all that well made mate and check (laughs) there's a storm outside and we cut to this old lady in her house and she's playing the piano as old ladies want to do and it turns out this old woman is the mom of that pregnant lady that was uh, screaming outside the bush where janie was hiding when she took off her ripped pantyhose Yeah. That kind of sounded gross, didn't it?
1: Yeah, a little bit. It sounded a little seedy.
0: This pregnant woman is upstairs in her bedroom, and she's taking pills one at a time, Mm -hmm. and she's washing them down with water in a suicide attempt. And look, that's not how you do it. I mean, I definitely don't condone suicide, but if movies have taught us anything, it's handful of pills, wash it down with vodka. That's the one-two punch you need to get the job done. Repeat till dead. I mean, seriously, don't kill yourself. Yeah, I mean,
1: nobody should kill themselves. Uh, but in in fairness, that didn't work out for Burt Reynolds in the end because he tried the no, same it thing. Did not. And I think maybe if I mean, look. If nothing else, Burt Reynolds' life was a template uh, by which we should all live. And (laughs) if it didn't work for him, it ain't going to work for her. Um, But I do like her saying, suicides go to hell, especially if they're pregnant. And I don't even care.
0: Is that true? Is that true that if you commit suicide, you go to hell? Uh, Assuming she's Catholic, yes. All dogs go to heaven, right? Well, One of them went to hell. All suicides go to hell, right? Yeah. What if a dog commits suicide? Hmm that that's
1: what causes black holes chad every time a dog goes to hell, like when hitler's dog died black
0: hole outside in the lightning we see what appears to be a giant monkey arm start to climb the lattice work leading up to the second story of this farmhouse (laughs) it's yeah it's here you get a pretty good look at like what this costume is ultimately gonna look like and it's like oh no this doesn't look good it, it looks like that monkey arm that John Cleese hooked up to electric cables in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, season three, episode two of Pick Six movies. That was more
1: convincing. This is <laughs> completely. This is more like the monkey arm from the movie Schlock. <laughs> but it's not a monkey. No, it's not a monkey arm. It's a werewolf arm, which is problematic to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> and and the werewolf scales up the trellis and goes up to the, the pregnant lady's room and then just busts through the window. And you get uh-huh. a pretty good look here at the werewolf. And it's very silly, Chad.
0: Yeah, they they use jump cuts to sort of mask how bad the werewolf looks in this, which is okay. I mean, it leaves a lot to your imagination, which is, you know, better than seeing this god-awful costume that we get to see at the very end of the movie. I like that as soon as the attack happens, we see the old lady downstairs who was playing the piano, that she just goes over and grabs her pistol and rushes upstairs. To handle, what, the male intruder that is attacking her daughter? She certainly can't be thinking, oh, great, there's a werewolf upstairs again.
1: No, no, no. It's more like, stand your ground. I'll be there in a second. He's probably Mexican. It like, Yeah, but grabs the gun, rushes upstairs, kicks the door in. Freeze, motherfucker, she says. But it, it turns out the werewolf is long gone. Right. Um, apparently, some bees flew by and he tracked them back to honey, uh, as was his bear-like <laughs> nature.
0: When the granny goes in, she finds her daughter just bloodied and splayed out on the bed. And again, kudos to this movie for not making the actress take off her top. Yeah. And I'm looking at you, Wolfen and Howling.
1: Yeah, oh, there was some in Wolfen. Howling, I felt like at least, it, that was kind of a sexy movie in general. Like, that movie starts <laughs> off in a porn theater. So, you know... A little boobage.
0: Let's cut to the city's only bar. And this place is packed with a bunch of balding, middle-aged white men. And I would like to point out there are two black men in the bar, but they're not sitting together. Yeah. I think they might be angry with each
1: other. They're not getting along right now. No. And Andy is the guy's name. Drunk Andy. Drunk Andy is lo- is complaining about, Sheriff Heller couldn't find his ass with a map and a Geiger counter. You know, just going off. And finally, <laughs> the the deputy uh says sounds like somebody in here is pissed about a 200 hundred dollar fine uh drunk andy is like yeah well i pay my taxes and i want this murder solved and then another guy is like last i heard andy you were behind on your taxes i live off the grid motherfucker i don't have to pay taxes i'm a sovereign nation the
0: sovereign nation of andy i told you motherfuckers i pay you and andy bucks the foreigner steps in with a baseball bat that has burnt into the side of it the words the peacemaker just Think Robert Redford's Wonder Boy bat from The Natural, but this one has a lot more blood and hair on it.
1: And he sounds a little like Lawrence Tierney. It may, in fact, be Lawrence Tierney. Uh, when he's just like, hey,
0: everybody break it up. And he's just I think, yeah, that's who it is. The guy from, uh, from Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Except in this movie, he almost pisses himself, which is <laughs> delightful.
0: Can we touch on the fact that this bar is filled with signage for Coors and Coors Light beer?
1: I didn't notice that, Chad. I just noticed the cool, delicious flavor of Coors Light. It's golden. <laughs> it's delicious. It's Coors. That's Coors Light, Chad.
0: <laughs> the signage is everywhere. It is wall-to-wall Coors Light Beer, which, because Coors Light is, of course, the silver bullet. Of course. And should be noted that Coors Beer was the MacGuffin for the inaugural episode of Pick Six Movies in a little film called Smokey and the Bandit.
1: That's some 50th episode shit right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there we what should we have we about? should have
1: a tip jar brady calls marty uh and his chair the silver bullet uh as as he pulls up like it's the first time we hear that even though the other one is named silver
0: bullet too so it's just... well this one says silver bullet on the back of it too they both say Silver I, Bullet.
1: i guess it's like james bond where it it's more of a, a title than it is a name
0: i don't know maybe that's just his beer of choice for marty he's just a drunk 11 year old runs in the family <laughs> you know
1: or if batman has two different batmobiles are they both the batmobile
0: that's a good question i guess it's kind of like air force one whichever batmobile batman is in that's the batmobile
1: right so whatever chair marty is in is the (laughs) silver Silver bullet Bullet. so anyway he pulls up on his silver bullet and there's a a cute girl that he's kind of into there and he's going to see her home uh she rides on the bike and you know he he doesn't right (laughs) he's telling her all about how uncle red who we haven't met yet is going to build him a new chair
0: Mm -hmm. and then
1: they, they pass by the pregnant lady's house, which is... The
0: dead pregnant lady's house.
1: Yes, now dead. And the, the cops are in the yard, and there's crime tape everywhere, and there's a big hole in the wall on the second floor. And the little girl is... God bless her. I'm sure she was a wonderful little girl. But in it with an awful southern accent, which again, everyone has a southern accent in this movie, and I think it's supposed to be set in Maine.
0: Of course it is. And
1: she says, I can't believe it happened. I mean, I saw her
0: all the time. It's very funny, Chad. I was going to say it's very sad, but sure, if you find that kind of thing funny, I-, I can agree with that.
1: I find her delivery to be delightful.
0: Well, then she also tells Marty, I've been hearing noises from the shed, and then the music gets all ominous. Uh-huh. I'm thinking if it's cheap trick, it's probably your brother out there getting high.
1: <laughs> the father comes out on the porch, Chad, and this is a real oh, piece man. of work. He sees his daughter with Marty uh-huh. and is like, hey, that looks like a cripple. Hey, Tammy! Get away from there.
0: This dude's drunk with a wife beater on, stumbling out of a trailer. I fully expected to hear the blonde haired Tammy fall to her knees and say, dear God, make me a boat so I can fly a fall, fall away.
1: Sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but but the father is making some pointed political comments about how uh, cripples. End
0: cripples up. always end up on welfare. I ought to electrocute them all and balance the god goddamn- budget
1: (laughs) makes a lot of good points if you know you enjoy twitter
0: I, i really think that if this concerned citizen reviewed the national budget he would see that the percentage of funds allocated for quote cripples pales in comparison to subsidies to major corporations and the military budget his concerns are misguided at best And as for his request to electrocute them all, well, capital punishment is federally recognized in all 50 states, but it's rarely used. Not all states recognize capital punishment, and it would be complicated if not impossible to electrocute them all as he proposes. And even for states that have some form of capital punishment, electrocution may not be a viable means of ending a person's life in every state. And assuming that this movie is taking place in Maine, well, Maine abolished the death penalty in 1887, two years after the execution of a 40-year-old escaped convict. And even in that case, he was hanged. This man's conjecture was not thoroughly vetted, to say the least.
1: Good points all, Chad. Not to mention that the cost of execution is actually higher than incarceration.
0: Well, if you do it wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Look, I've seen the green mile enough to know that this is true. I like the
0: end of Citizen X when that guy's convicted and they just take him out back, put him over a drain and two in the head. And that's that.
1: Well, I mean, look, no one's saying that authoritarianism doesn't have its points.
0: I'm saying it does.
1: I, I know you are. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. There's a reason the trains run on time. You know. So, leaving his lady, Marty per- pulls into Virgil's uh, service station.
0: He coasts in on fumes, man.
1: Yeah, he's a. He, He kind of has that Kramer thing of like, let's just see how far we can push it. You know,
0: I'll give the movie credit because they at least set it up that his go-kart wheelchair can and does run out of gas. So when it happens later, there's precedent for that.
1: Yeah. And also that he's an irresponsible driver and doesn't drive with at least half a tank and Virgil uh a virtual uh, service station has a little line mm-hmm. here that i really like where marty pulls up and says fill her up and he says all right you want me to check the oil check the driver's bullshit level and it's kind of a nice little moment it's, it's one of those little steven yeah
0: except things. the guy looks like a pedophile yeah hey let's get to the next scene because this is what the, everybody's waiting i for mean because unceremoniously we meet uncle
1: red gary Busey. chad i have told this joke in other settings not just like, hey, let me tell you a joke I heard from Silver Bullet. I have used this joke. And it is never the joke? Yes, I have.
0: To who? I just Are you trying to make people leave you alone? <laughs>
1: Sometimes, yes. But I have used it. It is the most Gary Busey way to enter a movie. Of him telling a joke. And the, the joke quickly is guy guy's in a bar with his pal. Uh, You're telling this wrong. Go ahead, tell the joke then.
0: No, no. You gotta do the voice. Oh,
1: okay, sorry. Guy's <laughs> in a bar with his friend. And he says, here we go.
0: Hey, jackass,
1: buy me a drink. Guy buys him a drink. says, hey, jackass, buy me another drink. Guy buys him a drink. Bartender says, hey, you gonna let him talk to you like that? And Guy says, "Aw, aw, he always calls me that.
0: I have no doubt in my mind that this joke was not in the script. Chad, you, you may be surprised to
1: learn, Gary Busey ad-libbed much of this film. What? <laughs> <laughs> and the director, Dino De Laurentiis, and Stephen King all gave him kind of carte blanche to do it. Like, they signed off on this. It's not like he did it and everybody was pissed off. They were like, "Man, eh, the script's what it is. If you think you can make this better, you're the guy who was nominated for an Oscar. So he did and made the movie a million times better.
0: Marty starts laughing at this awful joke that Bo likes to tell, and uh, Gary Busey and Marty are playing some sort of weird form of poker that's hybrid with baseball. I don't know. They're what's betting going on the here. baseball
1: cards, is what they're doing, and playing
0: poker. Oh, is that what they're yes. doing? I didn't catch that. And then Busey tells Marty, he's like, he says, um, "Fold because you don't stand a Chinaman's chance in winning this game." And did you know that drinking your own blood is the paradigm of recycling?
1: I've been on a search for worldly pleasures for some time, Marty. I just I just can't get enough. I, I've gone to extremes.
0: The mom's listening in disapprovingly as Marty tries to bet a manager. You can't bet managers. How many times I got to tell you, you can't bet managers. So Marty bets a Yankee, and then Busey starts chanting, Piss on the Yankees! Piss on the Indians! Piss on the Yankees! Piss on the Phillies! Ha <laughs> I want to point out that Busey is wearing a purple three-quarter length uh, sleeve shirt and like a white vest over the top that's all kind of ripped up and frayed. He looks like he's wearing the clothes that Bruce Banner wakes up to when he returns for being the Hulk.
1: Yeah, but in a, in a weird way, isn't he kind of the Hulk? <laughs> Where he is a seemingly normal person that just launches into madness and chaos.
0: <laughs> mom comes in to ruin the fun and uh Bucy's drunk because he's drinking wild turkey straight from the bottle and this thing is well over half empty who does he think he is me on prom night hey <laughs> so mom finally after the piss on
1: the yankee song is like hey 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 maybe it's time for marty to go to bed read them
0: and weep <laughs> i'll tell you this you have to remember to chase and catch your dreams, because if you don't, your imagination will live in empty spaces, and that is nowhere land.
1: Marty then lays down like a straight to the nines, and... <laughs> That's bullshit luck! It is the best reaction to a child winning. <laughs> Imagine playing Monopoly with your kid or something, and they win, and, Bullshit luck! <laughs>
0: it's the best... <laughs> During this whole scene, I think that Busey was topping off his uh, wheelchair-bound nephew's bottle of Coca-Cola with his wild turkey, just so he didn't have to drink alone.
1: Oh, I'm sure. He is that kind of uncle uh, that I aspire to be one day, Chad. I have a nephew not <laughs> nearly old enough to be either crippled or an alcoholic. Not yet. Not yet. Um, but finally, Mom is like, okay, enough. Marty, you get in the gremlin chair and go upstairs. Mm. Yep. And then Red... I will talk to you in a second. So, like, Red and Marty make faces at each other until Marty disappears upstairs. And immediately, Gary Busey's, like, mask of mirth drops. And he's just like, oh,
0: shit. I gotta tell you, I like this scene. I love it. It is such a
1: real argument
0: i like the scene when Busey's face drops from this like you say this mask of happiness to just pity of how bad he feels for this kid that he's so over the top because he's trying to compensate for this kid's shit life and i was like man i was like you know gary Busey in the right circumstances is still a really good actor well this was
1: pre-motorcycle accident so this is still him before things went real bad right but she's telling him like, this is why i love this because she's like you need to stop drinking around Marty and he immediately is like I'm tired of you telling me what to do you've been doing it to me since I was a kid and you're just like fuck this is not going to end right there and, and she, he tells her you need to understand you need to understand there's more to Marty than a chair And she's like, oh, well, here we go. You blow in once a month, tell a few jokes, have some beers, and then you're going to lecture me about how to raise a child? And it's like, oh, man, I I haven't heard this argument, but I've heard many variations of it, and it is dead on. Marty and
0: I have a very close relationship. R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P means this. Really exciting love affair turns into overwhelming nightmare. Sobriety hangs in peril. Do you understand that?
1: she says she's afraid like marty's gonna give up one day and she doesn't need red to show him how to do it which is a pretty good bird
0: where's the dad in this scene why isn't she a single mom it's a uh,
1: because then it would just be et except uh, the alien (laughs) is gary Busey. (laughs) which now that i say that out loud would make (laughs) et a far better film
0: When the mom and Busey are screaming and yelling at each other, you're like, you know, Marty just went upstairs. In fact, he's probably at the top of the stairs, lifting himself out of the gremlin's chair into the upstairs version of the silver bullet. He's hearing all of this. Oh,
1: yes. You know, if not there through the vents or, or just good old fashioned through the door, they're shouting at each other.
0: And Busey rap Busey wraps it up and he's like, fear is the dark room where the devil <laughs> develops his negatives. He didn't say that exactly, but you get the gist. Yeah,
1: basically. And so then we cut to the uh, shitty father of the little girl, Tammy, who is watching wrestling.
0: Yeah, apparently he took a break from the McLaughlin group to partake of a little professional wrestling.
1: Yeah, just throwing his eyes off of politics for a half second. He'll get back there (laughs) soon enough.
0: and He's a good 12-pack in.
1: Oh, sure. And there's a great line here that is formative for me. Where as he's watching wrestling and somebody gets, like, kicked in the balls, he goes, oh, Uh that hurts my parts. (laughs) Oh, I love it so much, Chad.
0: So we're outside in that shed uh, that Tammy mentioned earlier, and we hear some rumbling. So Drunk Dad gets up and grabs one of his three mounted guns off of the wall and then he just drunkenly staggers outside with a loaded shotgun to shoot whoever or whatever's in his shed he's also got like 10 sheds outside it's excessive
1: yeah i mean this is a weed farm right i mean Mm -hmm. you got a lot of like pots a lot of greenhouse activity but no real plants to speak of (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> and so he checks around for a while and reverend werewolf gets him from underneath it's not a really all that great or tense a scene and it goes on for far too long the thing that's notable is that he finds this green sweater in there that i think uh belonged to the pregnant lady
0: is that what that was yeah. i didn't know
1: yeah i believe that's that is what that is referencing mm, and if you
0: say so you've seen this a couple of times yeah. i haven't and then we cut over to
1: the diner where a bunch of old-timers are kind of just musing over the murders and you know that's the conversation is like hey you know people people getting killed all around here left and right and the mayor sees the sheriff on the street and takes this opportunity to just be like hey how's it going with all those killings let's not bother with an official meeting or anything <laughs> like mm-hmm. i you know i figured i'd run into you out here so how's all that investigation
0: stuff going you can't close the beaches <laughs> it's fourth of july yeah and- you say bar- barracuda people say huh what you wear a werewolf you got a panic on your hands. You say hedgehog, people say, what?
1: Where? <laughs> you say werewolf.
0: Anyway. Well, they put a curfew in so everybody's like going home early and then drunk andy he starts price gouging people by charging more for shotguns at the hardware store
1: yeah he's a good guy and i'm like a mother is scooping up a kid out of her yard and there's an old black lady rushing inside and locking the door because probably drunk andy was in the neighborhood
0: we then see marty climbing up in a tree using just his upper body strength to get a kite that's stuck up in the high branches and this kid's got to be half orangutan to do this there's no way this kid is climbing up in this tree and oh by the way that asshole kid brady he's over there flying his own kite not coming over to help his crippled buddy get his kite out of the tree this brady kid's a real shit i hope something happens to him he
1: is really into flying kites the direction of this scene must have been you love flying kites more than anything (laughs) anything (laughs) anything okay you you heard me right it's sexual for you
0: And he gets into flying. there. Yeah, kit. he's
1: t- completely obsessed. And Marty, who, as you pointed out, has a lot of core upper body strength, is climbing down with his kite. And Janie shows up and she's like,
0: would you get out of that tree if you fall? You might break your never mind. You know what? Do what you gotta do. She points out like, no, if you get hurt, mom and dad are going to be
1: pissed at me because I let you get hurt. So knock it mm-hmm. off.
0: Yeah, Janie's Janie's the center of the universe. Everything revolves around Janie.
1: Yeah, climb up on the cross, Janie. (laughs) but so she helps him out of the tree and marty is like hey brady do you don't you want to come home instead of flying a stupid kite which has never been fun for anyone ever and brady's like no just leave me alone with the kite for a little bit please if you would if you would just leave I'll i'll go away now and just leave me alone with the kite that would be great my little happy face kite
0: it was nice seeing you in the movie, Brady. Uh, try not to get killed by a werewolf or anything. Come on, Janie. Let's go home. I'm
1: just going to be fine. Just get the fuck out of here. I got a kite to fly. And so everybody takes off, and we just get one last shot of Brady obsessively flying his kite, and nothing mm-hmm. bad could ever happen to him. No. So no. we get Andy, drunk Andy, bitching about the sheriff again.
0: Back at the bar. Back at
1: the bar with the Coors Light Temple, and Pete, the deputy is like you know andy i've had just about enough for, from you yet again and if you don't shut your mouth i'm gonna shut it for you
0: i just want to point out that everybody in this bar scene uh, it's all the same people from the earlier bar scene and i'm pretty sure that they're all wearing the same clothes from the earlier scene so either filmmakers shot all the bar scenes in one night or these town folk have decided that they have like dedicated dranken clothes that they change into kind of like mr rogers with his sweater but you know they have clothing that's less likely to stain from whiskey or vomit
1: are you suggesting you don't have drinking clothes
0: but all of my clothes are (laughs) drinking clothes (laughs) yeah they are
1: Uh, (laughs) they're about to come to blows and right as they're about to fight brady's dad shows up who is the best over actor in this movie mm-hmm.
0: he's wearing a gray three-piece suit he's ball-headed uh-huh. he looks like a like a poor man's version of Jean-Luc Picard on his way to I don't know like a accountant convention
1: yeah and he's just walking around like has anyone seen my boy Brady anyone in this bar drinking
0: why would you go to a bar looking for your 11 year old son at night there's
1: like 50
0: people in this town of like 15 of and 48 them. of them are in that bar. <laughs> right
1: you're just like hey, rather than call you all out individually by name <laughs> let me just say everyone here at Coors Light tavern have you seen my boy brady and everybody's like "Oh, uh, we don't know anything about it and then they you get a, a quick cut to sheriff holler uh walking away from a gazebo holding brady's kite with blood splashed
0: all over it dude it is covered in blood it looks like some real fur is murder protester thought this kite was a meek stole yeah and
1: brady uh is in the gazebo all ripped up and brady's dad shows up again with the deputy
0: is that my boy the fruit of my loin the apple of my eye
1: could it be him and the sheriff tries to stop i and he kind of gives him the heisman and pushes him aside out of my way i need to see if it's my boy back constable I need to see my child. <laughs> and he gets to the the gazebo and he looks out and he just goes, Ah. <laughs> it's so good, man.
0: Why didn't we get to see the werewolf kill the kid? Or at least stalk him or something.
1: Uh, I think it's maybe time reasons, but also they knew what the werewolf looked like. Maybe they were trying to cut around that some.
0: And if if they had the kid killed at the beginning of the film, it would just be way too much like Jaws, right? If he was the first one to go.
1: Right. And then the mayor shows up and was like, I don't want you ripping out (laughs) some bear (laughs) in town square and have that great Brady boy spill out all over the the sidewalk.
0: But Reverend. Some bad hat you got there. Harvey Is that good. Yeah, that's fine. Just every fifth word has to be different
1: so Reverend (laughs) Werewolf is presiding over the funeral of of Brady Mm -hmm. and there's a great moment here where like Marty and uh Janie and the family and Uncle Red are in one pew and Uncle Red like opens his jacket Gary Busey yeah Gary Busey opens his jacket a little bit and pulls out a flask and then looks at Marty is like all right maybe not just I know when it's there's enough right now
0: What do you want to bet that this scene was filmed when Gary Busey didn't know cameras were rolling? (laughs) He was just like, I don't want Corey
1: to get the wrong idea. He seems like a good kid. He's at an impressionable age. If he sees me drinking, who knows what that could lead to. Cut. Huh? Uh, You're rolling, Daniel. (laughs) You were one sneaky
0: bitch. Uh, oh my god
1: and also the the reverend is saying as the time of the beast always comes the time of the beast always passes to which i ask you in particular chad Mm -hmm.
0: is this what sermons are like am i missing out i guess it depends where you go and whether or not your preacher is a werewolf well (laughs) look
1: you tell me where i can find a reverend werewolf and i am there
0: After the funeral, Gary Busey takes Marty home. And Gary Busey drives this two-seater convertible. And remember, Marty's only friend Brady in the town, Uh, he's dead. So these two get in this little convertible and Busey just straps the wheelchair to the back of this tiny little car. And it's pretty obvious that it's being held on by like rusty jumper cables that he just had in the trunk, all wrapped around like the bumper of his car and one of the wheelchair's wheels.
1: It's a a length of rope he
0: normally uses to secure one of the doors. Remember Marty imagination is the hood ornament on your car of creativity. The whole
1: scene is Marty saying what if it's not a guy what if it's a monster. I like Red going yeah what if it's a monster look at me I'm Marty I come up with all these crazy ideas and tell my uncle hey won't you drive for a second I've been taking a little bit out of the flask Uh, look I'll, I'll work the pedals you just hold the wheel.
0: Look Marty They gotta catch this guy. First, he broke in and butchered that woman who's always having sex with men around town looking to get married. And then that fat guy I used to get drunk with and buy weed from at the greenhouses, he's dead. And now this kid got gutted like a pumpkin. Hell, I'll bet this guy was the one that killed my drunk buddy over on the train tracks after he passed out and ended up deconanapitated. That's Scandinavian for getting your head cut off, Marty. Shit, everybody knows that. Marty says, "I think it might be a werewolf," and you're like, "Wait, what? Based on what?" Well, I think they're
1: they are they have associated these killings with the full moon, and so it, and and so he thinks that's why he thinks it's a werewolf.
0: He says his girlfriend or whatever heard noises out in the shed. Yes. Well, Busey says, "Look, psychotics are more active when the moon is full, and this guy is a psycho." You know what doubt stands for, Marty? It stands for Debate on Understanding Bewildersome Thoughts think about that marty get that through your head
1: (laughs) appropriately we now (laughs) cut to a bar and where the militia is forming which is always a good sign in a movie when you got a a mob forming
0: being led by drunk andy who has visited an army surplus store to make himself you know look legit as their leader
1: (laughs) yeah although he's got fine mutton chops and i i respect that
0: what is their plan to just go out in the woods and get him yeah to look for any any, any strange mammal that they feel is suspect yeah it it is it's
1: get her that is it and the sheriff shows up and it's like hey you dumb rednecks need to <laughs> need to go home what you're doing is called private justice not a very pretty name is it and andy is like why don't i tell you about some private justice sheriff dumb shit He calls the deputy a fat shit bag. Just to be creepy, he kind of lingers in the background for a second Mm -hmm. and then is like, this is my moment. Sheriff, (laughs) who are you to talk to these men about private justice? (laughs) My boy Brady was torn to pieces. And then bring like has brought a prop and is showing a picture of of his son in better times, of course. And is like, how dare you, sir, talk to these men about private justice? And I was kind of surprised that our Brady's dad, Herb, uh was pro private justice in this scenario. But uh, Andy, drunk Andy, knows a good thing when he hears it, and immediately capitalizes like, yeah,
0: what he said.
1: Let's go get him. <laughs>
0: so they all empty into the street to go kill something
1: right hunt something somewhere and reverend werewolf is out in the parking lot like no turn back do you don't have to do this don't do this and the sheriff has a good light here where he's like hey reverend this is that community spirit you've been talking about ain't it great yeah it
0: takes a village huh right he's just
1: like boy you fill these rednecks head with ideas reverend Dumbass.
0: we get another jaws moment here because everybody hustles off to go kill the something which is like when everybody gets in their boats to go catch the shark
1: yeah and so we follow them to an unnamed forest and or swamp
0: where and there's a full moon
1: again <laughs> right and I, this is the park where brady was murdered and the woods beyond that i think
0: you are you are filling in so many gaps <laughs> here they are just tromping around some fog based who knows what
1: right and it's a mob it doesn't matter they're just out for blood and it it is a complete like fisherman from jaws thing where you've got people bumping into each other and one dude steps in a bear trap
0: it's supposed to be funny but it's not
1: i do like the moment where he's trying to get the the dude's leg out of the bear trap and starts to spread it apart and then gets distracted and it clamps you are so back easily down. amused I know, man. You give me you give me a guy in a bear trap, and I'm at least interested in what's happening.
0: My favorite part was when that woman who's out with him she says to her husband um, that like he's so scared he's going to make lemonade in his pants.
1: You know, Chad. Every Stephen King movie has <laughs> that thing I don't need, and you've just hit upon the Stephen King thing I don't need this week, <laughs> and that is, are you going to make
0: lemonade in your pants? <laughs> Nope, you can have it. (laughs) So there's a lot of fog and then we hear a growl and then the mob gets spooked and then the werewolf attacks and kills a bunch of people and the first person that the werewolf kills is a black guy from the town which it's kind of cheap looking when he gets killed and i don't know it's kind of i don't know if it's racist or just stereotypical that the black guy's the first one to go but okay at one point the werewolf rips off a guy's head and then holds up this prosthetic that looks nothing like the actor (laughs) who played the part of the guy that just got killed
1: it's real bad yeah
0: and then my favorite part is that the grizzled bartender the one who has this baseball bat that says the peacemaker on it at one point he tries to whack the werewolf but the werewolf just gets the better of him and picks up the bat and just starts smacking the holy hell out of this old man bartender
1: it's pretty great uh i like that a lot and the bat is not done murdering people which is also pretty good that in a movie featuring a werewolf two people are killed by a
0: bat a werewolf becomes preeminent he's expected to have enthusiasms what are mine what draws my admiration what is it that gives me joy baseball and full moons and killing children that fly kites and eating pregnant women and lopping off heads enthusiasms
1: i wish didero had played this part as well as frankenstein's <laughs> monster cuz there was that version where the werewolf talked which would have been fantastic
0: this scene's basically the same scene from The Wolfman, Season 3, Episode 6 of Pixix Movies, where the mob goes out and they all get killed one by one.
1: Yeah, and Drunk Andy, who had led this expedition, runs off terrified.
0: He probably made lemonade in his pants.
1: Oh, Chad, can we just let it go? <laughs> and so we cut to Reverend Werewolf presiding over a swaying procession in, uh, in his church
0: hmm You get a group discount if you have all those coffins in there at the same time?
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got four or five of them. Yeah, it's a group funeral, so everybody chips in on it. Uh, I like it. I like the idea. I'd like to do it with strangers.
0: And uh, the congregation
1: is singing Amazing Grace.
0: The full song, man. Come on. Edit this down. There's, they sing a full verse of Amazing Grace. They can just shorten it up.
1: Uh, but you have to do all these random shots of the townspeople looking creepy. And Brady's dad, in particular, because he's not what you would call a subtle actor, Chad, no. is looking especially intense. And as the Reverend is giving his sermon about there's no comfort in a time like this, the. Just get to it. Brady says, There is no comfort. <laughs> there is only private justice.
0: yeah and And they all and everybody in the church starts turning into a werewolf yeah it's
1: the best and uh, my favorite is the organ playing werewolf Mm because she has kind of a bounce to her as she's playing the organ and uh they descend on the reverend and and then he wakes up from what it it turns out was a nightmare of werewolves attacking him and he says let it in dear god let it end
0: all right i have a lot of questions
1: yes please number one
0: why is this scene here
1: I think it's to show he's the werewolf.
0: Okay. We'll just stop with that. Number two, what evidence do they have in this town? Again, that there is a werewolf on the loose. They have a handful of murders, you know, of uh, 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 whatever, a lineman, a pregnant woman, this I don't know, child, and then you know, whatever. I guess the smattering of other people they killed. They are immediately jumping to werewolf as their suspect. Like the whole town. I get it that Gary Busey and Marty are concocting this idiotic thought process, but other people are on board with this too now. Is that what's going on? How so? I mean, it's just his dream, right? I'm just saying more broadly. Don't they talk about werewolves later? Uh, only the the guy making the bullet. Okay. So, oh, sorry. So, so we'll scrap that. Number three. Yes. Is it supposed to be a big reveal that the minister is the werewolf in this movie? Because if so, why are you giving it away in this scene right here? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I've always thought this was the scene that was supposed to tell you that. But then when you see the eye later, they do make it seem like, see? And it's like, no, I knew that from when he had the dream about all
0: the werewolves. And number four. How can this dream be in this movie if we're getting this story told from Janie's narration? She never talks to the Reverend to hear that he might have had this bad dream. Is she just making shit up as she tells this story? Maybe at the end of
1: the movie, the scene that they cut out was like after he got shot in the other eye and stuff. Spoilers Mm -hmm. for what happens later in this episode. That when he jumped forward and was like, ah, by the way, I had a dream. I got to tell you about it real quick. And they just cut that part of it out. And then he went and died.
0: I think that old lady in Titanic made up a lot of the stuff that she talked to Bill Pullman and all of his crew about. Because that old lady told the whole story of that movie to the ship's crew and they listened to every word. And all I could think was how uncomfortable must it have been for them when she got to the part about her and Jack fucking in the back of that car? Like, how graphic do you think she got? She was like, and then he stuck his hand down the front of my panties. It got so moist.
1: he said my clitoris was the real jewel of the sea (laughs) Uh,
0: maybe not maybe it was really sexy and some of them were into that kind of thing
1: yeah right Mm. maybe she was especially descriptive his throbbing manhood approached
0: (laughs) my vulva Rose, would you just shut up please? Rose, you've <laughs> gotta stop. Then he, he bent me over. He did things to me that I'd never done before, but I've done them since. I never realized till that day
1: I could orgasm just by having someone simultaneously yank my hair and pinch my nipple. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there's a, a big sign uh, <laughs> at the, the local festival grounds that says, hey, we canceled fireworks for the 4th of July because of all the murders.
0: All they had to do was put up title cards of what month we're in. And that would have solved so much of the issues of w- where the hell are we or when the hell are we?
1: Yeah, I mean, this at least is like, okay, you're in July now because it's 4th of July. But also, you're right. Why, why do No, we're I have- in October
0: now. For the
1: no, it's September, October. No, 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 no. The when he sets off the fireworks, it's September, October. When the fireworks are canceled, it's July. All
0: right. And okay,
1: Mar, but so Marty and his family pull up. You know, the, the fireworks got canceled, and Janie gets in a real bitchy dig here where she's like, Oh, poor Marty doesn't get his way for once. It's like, Wow, Janie, you are like taking some stabs here out of nowhere. Like, Marty has done nothing to you at this point. No.
0: I like this wide shot where we see downtown Smallville, USA, and there's this one car leaving the town with all their possessions because they're moving away due to werewolves or something.
1: Like we were saying, though, there's only like 50 people in this whole whole town. When five of them have been murdered, that is 10% of your population dead by mysterious causes. Good point. You know, just per capita. You would be like, well, there's only 45 of us left. The odds of me getting killed next are like better than half at this 48. point. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'll take I'll like you tell me there's a roller coaster with a hundred seats. One person gets decapitated on that coaster. I'm like, eh, I might get on
0: <laughs> back at Marty's house. Gary Busey shows up and he's got a surprise for his little buddy. And Busey says, where's your mom and sister? And Marty says that his sister is walking around in her new clothes, showing off, and I quote here her tits, yeah, like nobody's seen those before. Uh huh. That's gross. So Red
1: then gives his, his kind of pep talk, like he is really building to a moment here where he's like, "Now let me get this right: they canceled fireworks on you, your best girl moved away, and some crazy person killed your best friend." Have I got it right? Is that all the tragedies that have befallen you in the past three well, months?
0: Well, you left out that my legs don't work, but yeah.
1: Yeah, but that's from way back. I'm talking more immediate tragedies. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And he goes, all right, it is time. And he opens the the garage door to reveal one of those three-wheeled motorcycles uh, that you see.
0: It looks like a chopper in a wheelchair had a baby.
1: Yeah, and I do like his... Ta-da. <laughs> like all the cigarettes that gary busey's ever smoked come out in this ta-da it's all the the mornings we're waking up at 10 40 a.m was still way too early
0: it's a real ass kicker ain't it let me grab the keys and my wild turkey and we'll get this thing out on the street i feel like a virgin on prom night yeah like two of those three lines are in the movie
1: and <laughs> one of my favorite bits is where like Red creeps around the corner to make sure the coast is clear, and Nan sees him, his sister, and uh, he he thinks he's being sneaky, and she goes, oh, hey, Red, is everything okay? And he just goes, hey! (laughs) And then walks off.
0: So, Marty, a kid who has no use of his legs, gets on this death machine and just floors it out on this country road. This thing starts doing wheelies. It looks like it's going maybe 50 miles an hour. He's going to die.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be to really, really bad music. This is one of those moments where it's just all soaring guitar solos.
0: He's passing cars double yellow
1: lines, man. The fact that he doesn't hit just a chunk of wood in the road and go flying off into some ravine is shocking. Honestly, the fact that at no point is the silver bullet itself this incarnation of it, which is just a death trap, aside from getting stuck once, it's never a problem, you know?
0: Mm-mm. It doesn't do anything, really. No.
1: Well, mm, I guess it gets some away from the werewolf here in a minute, but... so. He drives dangerously all through these country roads, swerving around blind turns, the whole deal, and he gets back from this adventure and uh, Gary Busey is just sprawled next to the garage. and is get- Drunk one of <laughs> Sure. He's, he was taking a little bit of a nap, you know, a little bit of a breather. And uh, he gives him this really nice speech that I like where he's like, Marty says, this thing goes so fast. He goes, I know it goes so fast, but I built that thing. Because I love you. And if you ever got hurt on it, it'd kill me. You understand? And he's like, yeah, I get it. And it's like, all right, this is one of those moments where you're like, this is why you pay Gary Busey to be in your movie, because he can sell this.
0: So now it's it's nighttime, and the whole family's having a lovely dinner. So either they've come to grips with Gary Busey's chronic public alcoholism, or maybe he's clean and sober now. (laughs) Who are we kidding? He owns multiple flasks. So... (laughs) Marty drives in his new silver bullet around the corner of the house to say goodnight to Gary Busey. You know, Busey, again, one assumes is drunk, getting behind the wheels of his convertible. But before he leaves, Gary Busey says, I'm going to open up a reptile farm and barbecue those animals to eat. Because that is the kind of thing that Gary Busey says in this movie. And let's be honest, in real life. The delivery on that,
1: too, is that'd be some kind of barbecue. Oh, uh, it's just the best. Like, the, the scene opens when they're eating. The scene opens with him talking about farting because of raw
0: pork. <laughs> Gary Busey goes to the truck of his car and breaks out this large paper bag filled with fireworks. Mm-hmm. And he gives them to Marty because, as Gary Busey puts it, Because
1: no crazy asshole should beat the good guys.
0: <laughs> Remember, Marty. Team. T-E-A-M stands for Together Everyone Achieves More. Remember that. And
1: the tag on it is, if you can dig that. It's, again, this is priceless Gary Busey. This is the reason you buy the ticket.
0: So later that night, Marty, a kid with no use of his legs and using only his arms, climbs out of the second story window of his house and lowers himself down to his new rocket wheelchair and just drives off into the woods to go shoot off fireworks.
1: Yeah, he is more enthusiastic about fireworks than anyone outside of toddlers ever has been. Uh, He's on this bridge, shooting off, like, Like, it's basically waving sparklers around and and shooting off those, like, shitty ones that spin and make a noise. Yeah. 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 Zip up and stuff. And there was one rocket. Save this one for last. You're going to like it. It's a rocket. Uh, That Gary (laughs) views... You could really fuck somebody up with this.
0: (laughs) But off in the woods, there's something lurking.
1: And the music here, Chad, uh, speaking of Jaws, the music is... It is... (laughs) it is it's just jaws music as he's peering through the the trees
0: then marty's like oh shit my buddy brady got killed out here in these woods i should probably get home soon
1: yeah he's got his very special rocket save him for the end he, get, he has it in his hand and then the werewolf shows
0: up and just violently attacks i'm sorry slowly saunters up to marty
1: he saunters strolls one might even say moseys it's a real casual werewolf we've got on our hands here
0: Hey there, son. What you doing over there? You got a rocket? I don't know if, we, if we've been introduced before, but my friends all call me the wolf, man. Say
1: there, son. What you got? Rocket? <laughs> we are going to fire that thing?
0: Oh, shit. Um- Marty lights up the rocket and shoots it at the werewolf, and it stabs him right in the eye. It's pretty good
1: yeah i mean the effect is bad but it's a good shot and marty then takes off in uh in his souped up wheelchair goes home climbs up his trellis to his window gets into bed curls up you know against the wall and just stares terrified at the window hoping that the the wolf man doesn't follow him home
0: yeah he makes lemonade in his pants for sure god damn it it's growing on me
1: yeah, yeah. Uh so <laughs> <laughs> again, one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Gary Busey gets a late night phone call from Marty. He is either in a hotel room, more likely a motel room, possibly the room of a motor lodge,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> with a bottle of wild turkey handy on the nightstand. Lots mostly empty. Mostly empty lots of cigarettes. Mhm. And Marty calls him up and tells him, you know, hey, here's I, I saw a werewolf blah blah blah. You can't really hear his side of the conversation uh too well. But he spills the beans and then uh Gary Busey just says like have pity on old man and hangs up on him. And then you get the reveal Chad. That he is not alone in bed. He's got a lady friend with him.
0: That's called a prostitute. <laughs> that is
1: my pet theory as well. <laughs> if it weren't for the fact that if it were a prostitute, she would be gone along with his wallet as soon as he passed out.
0: He looks at this prostitute in bed <laughs> and he says, you know, a good way to lose weight is to put salt on your ass and go to a petting zoo. But stay away from the goats because I've seen them fornicate with a mailbox. <laughs>
1: And she's drunk enough to be like, that makes sense.
0: Marty goes to Janie and says, hey, you gotta help me. And so the narrator says, he told me the whole thing and I believed most of it. I like that she says most of it. It's a real subtle dig at fuck this guy.
1: I think the other passive aggressive part of that equation is, uh, I believed most of it and I knew one thing for sure. He believed all of it.
0: (laughs) What a dumbass. That's
1: a real backhanded kind of he's look marty was kind of a dumbass y'all
0: so Janie starts going door to door collecting cans for some charity drive but she's really looking for anybody that's missing an eye because marty said that's going to be your werewolf and so she goes door to door and we got all these shots of people like peeking out with their right eye then it's revealed that they have a left eye and
1: there is one like quick shot of a dude at the barber shop uh when when she's checking people there that is just a close-up of this old man with black, like, thick-rimmed glasses that looks like it could have come from the Legend of Boggy Creek. That's a real, like, <laughs> ew kind of moment for me. Every time they cut
0: to him, I'm like, wow, that is a face. So finally, she ends up at the church with her, I don't know, stolen shopping cart full of cans that she's been collecting. And here, the audience gets the big reveal that Reverend Werewolf is the werewolf, and a question for you about why do they reveal this to the audience but not reveal it to Janie at the same time? Because just a few seconds later Janie gets the reveal herself. It seems unnecessary.
1: Yeah, it is because if the reveal is the dream, which I think it is, then why is any of this here? Like I understand why you you keep her from seeing so that he can scare her later, but you kind of almost don't need to see it at all, you know? Yeah, yeah. or and, the double reveal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but so she hasn't seen anything yet. So she's taken the cart into his garage where there are flies buzzing around and and she kind of smells something. And then uh, as she's unpacking bottles, she gets spooked by a mouse and falls ass backwards into the the cans behind her, a big pile of cans.
0: Most of them are Coors and Coors Light cans.
1: Sure. I think you got a couple of sun drops in there uh, as well. (laughs) And... (laughs) underneath these cans she discovers the peacemaker or you know the the remains of the peacemaker bat Mm -hmm. and as she sees this and is putting two and two together like oh shit maybe marty was right or at least something is going on and the shadow of reverend werewolf falls over and she stands up real quick and is just like could not look more terrified of an individual if she tried
0: yeah, she looks like she's seen a velociraptor.
1: Yes. Yeah, with the jello and the whole deal.
0: And <laughs> Reverend
1: Werewolf is like, Why, Janie, you look like you've seen a ghost or maybe a werewolf. Hmm.
0: Maybe a Dracula or a Frankenstein.
1: Perhaps a gill man. Yes, that is what they call the creature from the Black Lagoon technically Janie. <laughs> and uh he's like do you need to lie down in my Jane?" and she's like yeah. no no i'm i'm leaving uh, not not because of werewolves that's certainly not that so uh i'm gonna get out of here you have yourself a good day uh reverend werewolf uh, i'll see you on the on the on the flip side and then takes off right and tells marty you know hey here's what i found and She says, but what are we going to do?
0: Marty comes up with a great plan.
1: Marty comes up with a plan that, you know, look, all of us have done this at least two or three times in our lives. Where you Mm -hmm. send uh, letters to local uh, reverends or priests uh, using letters cut from magazines, encouraging them to kill themselves.
0: Well, yeah, right. It's like a ransom letter. Yes, and in this case, it says, I know who you are. I know what you are. Why don't you kill yourself?
1: Yeah, it is kind of friendly that way.
0: And it's more about, why don't
1: you not kill yourself? It's like, hey, have, yeah. you, have you thought about killing yourself today? What do I have to do to get you in this suicide?
0: It puts the onus on the preacher. Right. And so Marty is the
1: one cobbling these letters together. Janie is mailing them. And mm-hmm. we get a cut to Reverend Werewolf reading them with a very cool patch on.
0: Yeah, it's pretty sweet. When she mails these letters, she goes downtown and she puts them in a mailbox, like in the like the town square, and the store behind her has a, a sign out that says, sick room needs. What the hell kind of store is that? You know,
1: like uh, if you got a relative that's uh, dying in a back bedroom somewhere, it's uh, creepy smells. They're little balls for that, like bath bombs.
0: You think this store popped up because of all the deaths in town? It's like one of those spirit Halloween stores. They just hear that there's a rash of dead people, and they're like, hey, man, get to this town.
1: Yeah. Do you have a survivor of a recent attack? We can help. (laughs) Do you have a bedridden child and or spouse?
0: (laughs) Weeping wounds? We got you covered.
1: Yeah. Anything disgusting or potentially fatal, we can meet all of those needs.
0: After the Reverend finishes reading the letter, we cut to Gary Busey, and he has been told about the werewolf, according to Janie's voiceover. And it's here that Gary Busey responds by saying, literally, Holy jumped up, ball headed Jesus Palomino!
1: Yeah, it's great. And the, the, the lead up to that is, you know, we wrote these letters every day uh, till the weekend, and then we told Red, and his reaction. Was less than calm. And then, you know, that's the explosion. It's fantastic.
0: My niece and nephew are sending love letters to the local minister suggesting he gargle with broken glass or eat a rat poison omelet. Is that what you're telling me?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so good.
0: Again, this is why
1: you're getting Busey to do your movie. Back in, you know, before he was totally crazy.
0: How did he not get a screenwriting credit on this? I, it's you mean because it wasn't in the script? and doesn't count? Is this the... I'm, I'm
1: trying to remember which scene it is. Is this the scene where he says, I'm a little too old to be playing the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf? Yeah, that's this. And it, oh, my God. I love that scene so much. Or I love that line so much. It is just beautiful. And he makes a big show of like, Forget it. I'm not helping you. This is crazy. Cut to them in his car, outside Reverend Werewolf's house, discussing, like, hey, what is it we believe
0: here? Worst stakeout ever. <laughs> They're just across the street while the dude's out front painting. Right, and he can hear
1: Gary Busey.
0: <laughs> I can hear you. Right.
1: Are you talking about me being a werewolf? Shut up, Reverend Low. Him, I expect it from. But you, Janie? And she's like, look, I believe in Marty. You used to also. It's like, wow, <laughs> she really turns coat real fast here. We have this really weird scene, man. It, it's Marty watching kids play baseball.
0: and it, Who have healthy working legs. Right,
1: and that's clearly what it's supposed to be about, but there's never a mention of it again.
0: Hey, run over here, John. You're going too fast with those those working legs of yours. Oh,
1: you kicked the ball further. Now I'm going to have to hop over this creek to get it.
0: Let's skip back. Let me tell you right now. There is no way that every kid on that baseball field covets his wheelchair any less than he covets their legs. They want that wheelchair so bad. I think every kid on that baseball field would be willing to, to not have the use of their own legs to be able to ride around on that silver bullet chopper. Oh, absolutely. I would trade my legs in a
1: second to have that.
0: When I was a kid growing up, a friend of my brother's, he won a raffle and he got a go-kart that had a shell on top of it that looked like a conversion van that had the icy bear on the side of it. And to this day, it was one of the baddest things I ever saw as a kid. He cruised up and down the street, man, riding around in this icy bear van go-kart. And I wished I had it. I didn't, though.
1: Did his head poke up through, like, the shell or was the shell... Uh huh oh wow
0: it was like a regular go-kart but it just had this shell and the top of it was like a big open convertible and he would just haul ass around the neighborhood
1: that's pretty cool yeah hmm. well all right after watching uh some kids play baseball marty Mar- marty is taken off and we get the reverend watching him and this he has what i like to call wolf o'clock shadow here yeah <laughs> Where it's it's a little too thick to be like, I did not not shave this morning. I haven't shaved for a couple of days
0: now. Marty fires up his chopper and heads home. And then the Reverend just chases after him in this boat of a car. And I don't know, what can we say? The, the Reverend just tries to kill Marty by smashing him off the road.
1: Yeah, they trade a little paint, which is significant later. And uh, Marty, because he likes to live on the edge, is running out of gas mm-hmm. and ends up stalling on this old bridge. And, right. and also, he, he kind of made a sharp turn, so he thinks maybe I lost Reverend Werewolf, but sure enough, as he is trying to get his, uh, his wheelchair, the silver bullet, unstuck, up pulls Reverend Werewolf. And Reverend Werewolf gets out of his car, comes on, into this covered bridge where Marty is stuck and is saying like i can kill myself marty i'm my religion teaches that you go to uh, go to hell for that what i did for the lady i killed the pregnant lady i saved her soul she was bound for hell and i saved her
0: what about all those other people you killed shut up marty with the jib jab what are you a knock it off you know what i'm gonna kill you
1: one was a drunk then you got brady I mean, I, I think that speaks for itself. The pregnant lady who was going to kill herself and the, the awful dad who was politically aware, sure, but seemed unpleasant. Mm-hmm. So The other
0: one was mob rule, Marty. I was in self-defense. Yeah. No werewolf court in America is going <laughs> to convict me of murdering all of those people.
1: They came after me, yeah. And uh, I, I like when he says, I, I can't do it, you miserable little shit. It's a real good delivery of that. Every McGill's real good in this scene. Anyway, so as he's approaching, and is about to you know murder Marty, and and is like I you know I genuinely feel bad about this Marty. Uh, a, a tractor is turning a corner on the opposite end of the bridge, and he starts yelling for the guy Marty does, and like Reverend Werewolf does this like ho oh, oh, ho oh kind of look. Mm -hmm. as he starts yelling for the guy on the tractor who stops and is like you know marty is that you and starts walking toward him and meanwhile the uh reverend werewolf cheeses it out of there
0: you think if the guy on the tractor hadn't shown up how do you think reverend werewolf would have killed marty i
1: think he would have thrown him off the bridge
0: just into the water yeah why
1: not let him drown because
0: he could swim he's not gonna die just because you don't your legs don't work it's not like he's gonna sink it's the fall that'll kill him chad (laughs) Marty and Janie go back to Gary Busey and try to convince him that Reverend Werewolf is a werewolf, but Gary Busey still ain't buying it. And this is until he sees that there is some paint on the new and improved silver bullet where Reverend Werewolf's car banged into the bullet. And so that's all of the evidence that he needs. And then Gary Busey says, you know what failing stands for? It stands for finding an important lesson inviting needed growth
1: (laughs) i really like these um and and so gary Busey then goes to the sheriff who he knows well for numerous nights in the the clink
0: he's like otis the drunk (laughs) he just shows up unlocks the jail
1: (laughs) hey joe me again i'm just gonna let myself in hey would you mind putting a tv in there uh they're doing a welcome back cotter marathon and i am keen to look on it so he tells him at least some of the story we don't really hear all of it and we don't know how much he tells but the sheriff says that is some story do you believe it and he says let's just say i think river lowe ought to be checked out (laughs) and when gary busey is telling the cops that you need to be checked out first Mm -hmm. of all you are one of many second of all it probably (laughs) means that he owes you money
0: I like that Busey just pulls a cigar out of his jacket pocket and lights up as he's leaving.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just like, all right, business done. It's cigar time. I did what the kids call adulting today
0: the sheriff goes to the church to and i use this word very loosely investigate and then after an incredibly prolonged scene the sheriff finds the preacher hiding in the shed and then the sheriff's like uh hey reverend werewolf you better come along with me and then the reverend says it's not my fault and then he just wolfs out and hits the sheriff in the face with what's left of the peacemaker baseball bat this werewolf really likes beating people to death with this piece of wood
1: also, uh, whoever designed that in the prop department is feeling pretty good about themselves. Yes. Uh, yes.
0: Gary Busey and the
1: kids are on a park bench uh, and and talking about, you know, hey, the sheriff has gone missing right after he sent him to investigate uh, Reverend Lowe. And this is where Marty gives him a necklace. And he says, I want you to turn this into a silver bullet.
0: And then Janie gives him. Her necklace, too, to make sure that he has enough silver.
1: Right. And this is where we get Marty's theory about, like, the Reverend's going to wait to kill me the night of the full moon when there's no low left, only the monster. Which Gary Busey responds appropriately and hilariously, you have gone right out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) So good, man. Then we go to the gun shop and, and, and Gary Busey goes to... Uh, What Janie describes as an old world craftsman who melts down the silver into a silver bullet.
0: He goes in and he's like, hey, I I got a nephew and he's a big fan of the Lone Ranger and he wants a silver bullet. And by the way, I've been told by doctors and surgeons that I have the energy of 10 men who have normal jobs.
1: If you could do me a big favor right now and prove a little pet theory of mine, would you mind shooting me in the chest? (laughs)
0: So, he makes him a bullet, and uh, they go back to you know concoct their plan of how they're going to shoot Reverend Werewolf, right? Yes.
1: They, Red, uh, a.k.a. Gary Busey, has cooked up a plan so that the night of the full moon, the parents are out of town, going to it's New York. It's Halloween. Yeah, it's Halloween, of course. And they want a trip to New York, or he did, and is giving the tickets to them. And we learn very quickly he just bought some tickets and got him out of town, which means there is no hotel on the other end of that flight.
0: Busey has to be living on some sort of settlement for a slip and fall at a circle game. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> a couple of them he's <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's what they call a confidence man. yeah, uh, it's late. uh they're they're hanging out. the TV is signing off. Everybody's asleep in the living room.
0: Yeah, Busey's wandering around with a loaded gun in the house, as I'm guessing he does most nights in his day-to-day real life.
1: Gary Busey is woken up in his his drunken stupor in his chair by uh, a cigarette burning down to his knuckles, uh, a.k.a. the Irish egg timer, <laughs> and he wakes up and he's like, "It is ten till three in the morning. You kids need to go to bed now. I'm gonna stay up." with this stupid gun like i said i was gonna do but you kids need to go to bed well
0: he tells them a very familiar feeling is beginning to come over me i'm beginning to feel like a horse's ass
1: (laughs) it's a pretty good line man
0: (laughs) and then the monkey arm shows up again and rips out the power lines
1: yes and busey's like it could be a
0: fuse (laughs) right and even
1: jamie is like come on man like Look, I was not Team Werewolf to begin with, but I'm Team Werewolf now.
0: Then there's a whoosh in the house, and Gary Busey's response is, Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Gary Busey's like, Alright, everybody. Do not panic. And then there, the werewolf busts in from a wall behind him.
0: Like the Kool-Aid man.
1: Gary Busey loses his shit for a second, where he's just like, Whoa! And a little bit of trivia for you here, Chad. This was one take. They did not tell Gary Busey where the werewolf was coming in, and the response <laughs> was genuine. Which makes all of this a hundred times better. So it busts in, and then the werewolf just starts
0: wrestling with Gary Busey a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, well, he also has taken the bullet out of the gun because that makes no sense at all. And he drops it on the ground and it falls in an air vent on the floor. So Janie and Marty run over and try to fish it out of the vent while Busey's getting tossed into a china hutch and a vanity.
1: Yeah, and also one of the uh, when he was getting thrown into the china hutch, uh, even though it was like candy glass and all that, it's one of the pieces still stuck in his arm and he's really bleeding in the last scene of this because of that which again wait they didn't use a stunt man. no that was that was all beauty baby oh my god uh, this
0: movie gets better and better. I,
1: you're goddamn right it does
0: i like when marty's sticking his fingers down in the air of it to pick up the bullet there's an errant cigarette butt down yes
1: there. a million percent reds
0: there's somebody from the crew i i like
1: to believe what i believe chad and that is red smoke shoved down there when he was smoking in the kitchen one or in the living room and nan was coming he was like oh shit (laughs) that sounds about yeah the the gun gets knocked loose and Janie recovers the gun uh marty finally fishes the bullet out of the the grate out of the air vent And they load the gun. Marty has the gun. Gary Busey continues to get tossed around a little bit more.
0: He picks up a fire poker and is beating the holy hell out of a werewolf. (laughs) Yeah. That happens in this movie. Gary Busey (laughs) takes a fire poker and just beats a werewolf about the head. And the werewolf does look like a bear.
1: Yes. It looks like a very thin black bear.
0: So they load the gun. Shoot
1: him. uh, They end up shooting Reverend Werewolf in the other eye. Mm -hmm. and he collapses against the wall and untransforms which is far and away the best effects of the movie
0: yeah so the reverend werewolf is now naked in their house with a fresh gunshot wound to his right eye socket how is this trio going to explain this to the police
1: well the the sheriff is dead this is what they call private justice chad they throw this body out back in the woods let nature take its course and uh and they're done no way nobody ever hears from river and low again
0: could you shoot someone in your house then strip them naked and then claim to the authorities that they were a werewolf
1: i don't think so i think there would be some evidence may, perhaps that you had stripped them i think that's where things go from you performed what some would call a reasonable action <laughs> the second you are undressing a corpse Outside of a professional circumstance bleeding
0: corpse bleeding corpse <laughs>
1: that doesn't make it better Chad
0: yeah anytime
1: anytime you were caught undressing a dead person and you were not a funeral director you're in a yeah. you're in a bad situation
0: <laughs> yeah again saying it out loud makes it sound a lot worse yeah
1: it'll have that effect
0: so Janie and Marty they're sitting there and they're kind of having a good laugh and Janie says Marty you okay and Marty says it's my legs. I don't think I can walk, and they just crack up. And this is where we get the
1: strangest ending to any movie ever. Where Marty <laughs> says, I love you, Janie. And she says, I love you too, Marty. And then the narration kicks back in, which I had forgotten about again by this point. And the narrator, the older Janie, says, I couldn't always uh, say that to Marty, but I can now. I love you too, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> good night
0: hehaw hehaw He always says that to me.
1: She says good night. That's how the movie ends. Good night, everyone. Good night movie, Good night moon, good night, werewolf. It's oh good night, Uncle Red, and your flask so shiny. It's a mess. It is a mess of a movie, and I love it. I love this movie. I think Gary Busey is the shining star of this, no doubt about it. yes. But there's enough, you know, we didn't really talk about Corey Haim much at all in this, Um, he, but he's kind of good in it. He's he's good as the kid. You know, it's obviously, you know, yeah. it, it, it's a shame what happened later and all that stuff. But, you know, in this movie, it's like, oh, Corey Haim is good in this. Carrie Busey is good in this. Those are the two that are kind of carrying the movie. The story is fine. You know, like it's not real. It's not well directed necessarily. And it's it's not poorly. it's not well written, but there's poorly shot. The editing is terrible. (laughs) Yeah, all that is true. But there (laughs) is first of all, it's a cool 90 minutes. That doesn't hurt. Yes it trucks along it like as much as as the plot is kind of nonsensical it keeps moving in this movie and there's kind of always something happening and every time i get a little bit bored gary Busey shows up in his incredible i even love the goofy werewolf i think it it, it looks like a black stuffed german shepherd and it's <laughs> awful but i also kind of love how bad it is
0: Oddly enough the the slowest moments of this movie for me are when people get killed by the werewolf. It really drags.
1: There's a lot of we're going to stalk somebody for a minute and it just it 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 doesn't build tension cuz it's not really well directed. It's not that stuff actually takes some talent Very good. to put together. Yeah. And <laughs> <Right>. and, and <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like the worst stuff in this movie is the werewolf stuff. The best stuff in this movie is anytime gary Busey is saying gary anything. Busey's on screen yeah, yeah but wh- what was your reaction like would you recommend this to someone
0: oh i mean absolutely i would recommend it i mean it's not good but i definitely would recommend you check it out if you've never seen it one of the things i think about stephen king adaptations to the screen is that by and large people think about his movies as a brand that he writes horror films Or that he writes scary films. And I don't think that that's the case. In fact, I think that that's an inaccurate perception. And that's probably nowhere more obvious than in the upcoming film, episode three of this season, where we will be exploring the running man.
1: Yeah, that is a uh, a story that ends with the main character flying a plane into the television headquarters while he holds his intestines in from a, a slice across his belly.
0: Mm-hmm. There are a lot of other movies that don't follow the traditional horror path that are based on Stephen King's works. And we'll touch on a few more of those a little bit later that tend to be more about the supernatural or things that are not so much of werewolves or slasher films or, you know, ghost stories.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not going to talk about stuff like Shawshank and the Green Mile movies that are legitimately good
0: oh no 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 we don't do that here the
1: dead zone is a fantastic stephen king adaptation that is far more supernatural than it is horror uh stand
0: by me stand
1: by me is a fantastic movie misery you can argue isn't strictly a horror film and and is very very good yeah but we're not gonna be talking about those instead we're talking about the running man which features richard dawson in a leading role as a game show host right playing against type
0: (laughs) So come back and see us in two weeks time as we will have a freshly baked new episode of this season's theme, Hail to the King, baby, as we continue to explore six motion pictures inspired by the writings of the most prolific author that I can think of living today, Mr. Stephen King.
1: Yeah, he's written a lot of stuff and and doesn't seem to want to stop. He's got some kind of like border crossing horror book out now
0: good for him man more power to him keep making those movies because we could have a sequel to this season maybe uh sometime maybe for the 100th episode we'll come back and do something else probably not though <laughs> so as always like rate review send us an email pick at gmail.com bo any final thoughts on your 187th viewing of silver bullet i love
1: it it was great to do it uh the 50th anniversary is of course the busey anniversary it was only appropriate and i loved every second of it and i can't wait to see a giant fat dude wearing light bulbs in the next episode
0: fantastic come back in two weeks we'll be here